scriptures, go to the Gospel of Mark chapter 6 is where we are. What are we doing? Well, we're getting back into the Gospel of Mark this morning. We did that this first semester, and uh, we are only to chapter 6. Uh, who can tell me how many chapters are in the Gospel of Mark? Ready, go. 15. There we go. Double check me. I'm, sure, I'm pretty sure that's right. That's correct, isn't it? 15. There we go. Hey, Allison, you got the Bible sword drill last week, and then Aaron got it this week. Look at y'all in the Word. Good job. What? You're wrong. All right. You're demoted. Just kidding. I thought it was 15 too. Here's the point. We've only been going for since August, and we're only at chapter 6. Why do we do that? Why do we go so slow? Because I think good Bible study is like good barbecue. It's low and it's slow. I'm serious. It's low and it's slow. Get down in the text. Let God speak to us this morning. Now, this is where he's taking us. We're picking right back up where we left off. Join me at verse 7, chapter 6. This is a longer account we're going to read this morning. We'll take it in pieces. Verse 7, And Jesus called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and, and, and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake the dust, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Verse 12. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Let's pause there. Okay? So he's sending out the 12. They've got a mission. He's sending them out to do ministry. Okay? Here's what I need you to do. To get to the end of this story, this is what's interesting about this morning's passage. You have to fast forward the movie all the way to verse 30. So go all the way to verse 30 to get to the end of what's happening on this mission. Verse 30 reads this. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And Jesus said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. Stop there. So here's what's happening. Let's get the playing field. You have to skip over all these verses. Verses 14 to 29. You have to skip over all of those. And right here is this seemingly random story Mark tells right in the middle of his original story about the disciples' mission. That's what's happening here. Okay? Now, what is this other story that Mark decides to tell right in the middle of this one? It is the beheading of John the Baptist. How many of you know that story? Just raise your hand. The beheading of John. You remember that one from, from Sunday school or whatever it was? The beheading of John the Baptist. Someone said classic. Yeah, that's a pretty gruesome one. We'll look at it in just a second. So here's what's happening. In this story, John the Baptist is martyred. Now, let's remember John the Baptist. This was a man totally committed to the cause of Christ. The first man totally committed to the cause of Christ. He was Jesus' first true follower, and because of it, 
In this story, he loses his life. He loses his life for following Jesus. And the story is, is pretty wild. Um, it would have been a dinner party that you would never have forgotten. Let me show it to you. So pick up. We'll move down to verse 21. A dinner party you never would have forgotten about. Here's what happens, right in the middle of the original story. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, that's the king, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in, that's his wife, and danced, and the, sorry, the girl would have been the king's stepdaughter, all right, verse 22, she pleased Herod and his guest with her dancing. And the king said to the girl, Ask of me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask of me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. Stop right there. Just quick note of the, 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 the scene. I've always read that story, and I thought that was a really bold comment, right? Just because she danced well and entertained everyone, he says, I'll give you whatever you want, even half of my kingdom. He's been drinking. Can we just be honest about that? That's the first thing I noticed in that story. This man is having a good time. Okay? So he says, even up to half my kingdom. Verse 24. And she went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. So she can have anything. Mom tells her what to do. She wants John the Baptist dead. Verse 25. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. What a request. Verse 26. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oath and his guest, he did not want to break his word to her. There's all those people there. Verse 27. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl and the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Well, I'm going to remember that dinner party. Can you imagine how gruesome that is? Literally coming up to the girl with the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And she gives it to the mother. So, what does that have anything to do with the original story that Mark started telling? You have those friends, they start a story, then they get distracted, they start telling another one, and then another one, and they come back to the original one, they're hard to keep up with, they had too much coffee or whatever that is. That might be me, actually, now that I'm saying this out loud. <laughs> That's what's happening here. It seems so random. And so you've got to ask the question. We're going to investigate this, and we're going to get to the main point that he's trying to make. But you've got to investigate with me. Here's the first question we ask. Why does Mark, sitting there with the apostle Peter, remember, who's recounting all of this to him under the influence of the Holy Spirit, why does he do this? Why does he start the story and then in the middle of it tell a totally different one and then jump back into the original story right there in verse 30? This is the literary technique called, it's a fancy word, sandwiching. Literally, that's what's in the scholarly books. Sandwiching. It's where you start with the bread, which is the original story, 
verses 7 through 13, I believe it was. You then go to the meat or vegetables if you're vegetarian, and it's a random story, John the Baptist, and then you bring it back with the bread at the end, and you finish out the story. That's verses 30 through 31. Sandwiching, okay? That's what's happening here. The reason you would do this is because that story in the middle, the meat, was supposed to help you illustrate the larger, the bigger point that you're trying to make in the original story that you started about the disciples being sent out for the cause of Christ. Everyone got that? Let's keep investigating. So Mark is telling John's death, his death story, to make a bigger point in the original story. And so then we ask this question. This is where we'll get our answer. What is the bigger point that Mark is trying to make? Answer. There is a cost to being committed to the cause of Christ. There is a cost to being committed, like the disciples were. He sent them out. Go out, do ministry, proclaim the kingdom, heal the sick. There's a cost to doing it. And the story in the middle is John the Baptist who paid the ultimate cost, which is his death for Christ. There's a cost. Martyrdom is what John suffered. Martyrdom for the cause of Christ. Martyrs have a really special place in the Bible and in the church tradition, especially in the early church. Let me read just one quote from Scripture to you about how special martyrs' place is in the Scriptures. It's right at the end of the Bible. It's Revelation 20, verses 4 and 5. It reads this. John says, Then I saw thrones, so multiple, and seated on them were those to whom authority to judge was committed. This is the end of all things. Watch this. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, had not received its mark on their foreheads or on their hands, they came to life. And look, look what happens. And they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. This passage tells us there are thrones awaiting in the future reality. We're on that different plane of reality in God's kingdom when everything is done on this world. But there are thrones where martyrs will sit. They have a special, special place in God's economy. What's the message? Go be martyrs? It's a little difficult, I think, in the States. Certain parts of the world, that's still true. What's the message? Well, go with me on this. The Bible actually talks more, more about a different kind of martyrdom talks a lot. I'm going to show it to you. You can't miss it in the New Testament. If you miss this, you're going to miss the Christian life. There's a different kind of martyrdom that the Bible talks about. One where even though you're still physically alive, you die. It talks about it as this inner death where you lay down your life to God. Right? You release all control to God saying, not my will, but yours be done. 
This is the kind of inner martyrdom that the New Testament talks all about. I place everything that I am and all that I have. Just get this, get this uh, in your minds. All that I have, all that I want to do in my future, I place all of that, God, into your hands. It is holy surrender. The Bible says it's a kind of death, a kind of martyrdom. Where you say, God, you own me. I do not own myself. You die. Now, Jesus speaks about this necessary, I just call it death of the disciple. Everyone has to go through this. And it's, we go through it over and over and over again. He talks about it throughout the Gospels. And I would say this. It was central to Jesus' vision of Christian spirituality. Central. I go so far as to say this. All the things that the New Testament promises a born-again believer in Christ, and there are so many promises of the full and vibrant life in Him that He wants to give us. I would argue that for all of those promises to be realized, it is one death after another death after another death after another death to receive them. Why? We clutch on to all of these smaller, lesser things. Pride, ego, fear, lust. We could just go down the line. Self, self, self. Why? Because we're scared. We are scared to let go and let God. We're afraid to let go of control and release our life into his hands and say, you're first no matter what. I don't have to protect myself, defend myself, fight for myself. I'm yours and I trust your sovereignty. What happens when you're clutching onto so many things, God can't give you bigger ones. I call my child over. His hands are full and I want to give him a gift, but he's holding on to all these tattered gifts from far, far away Christmases. He just loves them. He loves them. But I got him new stuff, better stuff, awesome stuff. If he won't let go of the lesser things he's holding on to, then his hands aren't open to receive the new gift that I have. This death is about letting go of what we clutch on to so we can receive more. You lay down your life so that God can come and rest on it. Central to Jesus' understanding of the Christian life. Can I show it to you? Flip over one gospel to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Good and important truths we're getting into this morning. Let's pick up in verse 21. This is Jesus speaking. And Jesus strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, Jesus says, The Son of Man, that's referring to himself, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So Jesus first talks about physical martyrdom. I'm going to die, Jesus says. He knows, cross, all that's going to come. Laying down his life. I'm going to die, physical death. 
Then he starts talking about a whole other kind of death when he looks at the disciples. Verse 23, And he said to all the disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, his death daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But Jesus says, Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Stop right there. First, a physical martyrdom, and then he switches lanes completely. The disciples would have already been stunned. Why is he talking about dying? He's supposed to be king. He's supposed to be on the throne. We've got a whole new campaign. We've got a whole new cabinet. We're going we're gonna to rule. Kick out the Romans. He's saying, I'm going to die. And he turns to them and he says, and if you want to follow me, and I want you to, pick up your cross and die daily. Let go daily. And he gives them a warning and a promise. If you don't want to do that, verse 24, that's the if you don't want to. Whoever would try and save his life, keep it, hold on to it, protect it, add to it. He says, we'll lose it. But whoever loses his life, lays it down for my sake. This is verse 24. He says, you'll save it. You actually have life because you'll be connected to me. So one other passage I want to take you to. The other passage gets into the cost. There's a cost to following Christ. John the Baptist served the ultimate cost. There's a cost to being a true Christian, even today in 2023. And you know what? Jesus didn't hide that at all. Jesus didn't put, if you read the Gospels, Jesus didn't put in fine print at the very, very bottom of the contract, you know. See those commercials? You can't, I mean, you can't even read what, you know, all the ways you're going to die if you take that pill, you know. <laughs> Now they're obligated to like tell you the list. I think it's like a policy now, and they go through like you know, heart attack, stroke. Oh gosh, okay. But if you got to take the medicine, worth the risk. I'm on some medicine. I'm not trying to shame anyone here. All right, moving on. Be careful when you're up here. You know, I'm not the best at it. But point: Jesus doesn't put down in the in the fine print. He doesn't hide it. He doesn't hide the cost. He talks very openly about it. I think sometimes in our, especially John chapter 6, when he talks about eating his body and blood and doesn't really explain it. I'm like, were, were you trying to thin out the crowd? Did the church get too big? I mean, it's like you're trying to get people out. He doesn't hide it. He was incredibly open about it. Very forthright. Which leads me to ask this question of the church, and we all need to ask it even if you're not a pastor, is why do we in contemporary Christianity try and hide it? Why do we try and hide the cost? You tell me. I don't know. But most of the Christianity I hear out on the street in the public square is this, come to Jesus and you'll get this and this and this and this and this. And I'm not just talking about prosperity gospel. That's obviously all about self and not about God. I'm talking about even what we would call evangelical or close to the scriptures. I don't care the label, but, but, but real followers through the word by the spirit of Jesus. I even see that temptation in myself to hide the cost but Jesus doesn't and then we wonder why in today's world we got half-baked Christians because maybe we didn't tell them the cost and so they don't even know they have to go that far to death so that they can have life can I take it can I take you there 
Flip over just a few chapters to Luke 14. Luke 14. This is Jesus getting rid of the fine print and putting it as bold lettering as he can. He just goes there and talks about it. He even adds some shock value. I mean, he's serious about it. There's a couple words I'm going to have to clarify. He was that blunt. Verse 25, chapter 14. Now great crowds accompanied Jesus, and he turned. <laughs> I can just see it. There's too many people turned to him. And he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Clarification. It's hard to go from the Hebrew and the Greek to today's English. That word hate is essentially the equivalent of choosing them over. So let me clarify. Jesus is saying, if you choose your father, mother, wife, children, and even your own life, that's the heart of it, your own life, over me, you can't be my disciple. Verse 27, he goes on. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Then he gets into the cost. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Another example. Verse 31, or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends the delegations and asks for terms of peace. Then he summarizes. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus is illustrating the cost. Count the cost. Verse 33, does this mean you need to go off and sell everything you own? No, that is a very superficial, I believe, incorrect reading of what the main message Jesus is trying to say here. But do you need to be willing to say, Jesus, all that I have is yours. Blank check life. You want me to give to this, sell this, go here, go there, quit this, start this? I'm in. And that's not hard. As you continue to follow Jesus, and by his grace and spirit, he helps lay you on the altar for this season's sacrifice. This season's offering. Don't get this in your mind. I do this because... I don't know. It's part of my personality. I hear something and I'm, I, I, you know, those people only have two gears, all in or all out. I, I think I have that tendency where I hear something like this and I'm like, I'm all in. All right. I want to get on the altar and do it one time and it be final and, and never again. I'm all in Jesus. Right. That's like Peter. Maybe there's a comparison. Yeah. And Jesus has said, Peter, come on. It's a journey. It's a journey. All right. It's not even possible. Like, stop talking like that. It's a journey. It's be multi, it says, it's bear your cross daily. There are ongoing offerings, not the whole thing. That's what is in Jesus' vision. But he's clear. There's a cost. I want to apply this for us. These are the passages I wanted to look at. I now want to kind of bring the scriptures down to our life. 
I want to be clear with you. There is a cost, as Jesus said, but the reward, the reward far outweighs the cost. I hope we know this. We lay down our lives so that he will come and rest on them. It's just like the message I gave at New Year's. And at New Year's, essentially what we talked about is this. When, when we get on the altar daily and we offer our lives to him, he sends fire on the altar. This is what happens in the Old Testament. He says, bring the offerings in the very first uh, meeting of the tabernacle. And when they put the offerings on the altar, it says that supernatural fire from God lit the offering. Okay? So in the same way in the New Testament, when we get on the altar and we offer our lives in this season, this particular sacrifice, that is when God responds and comes and sends the fire. Here's a good question to ask. Why do I lack the fire maybe that I used to have? Answer, because there's no offering on the altar. The Bible's clear. He sends fire. When God sees a willing person, he comes. When God sees an open door, he shows up. When God sees a genuine, I don't know how it all works. I have doubts, but, but I'm in as much as I can be. He responds. He's, he's, remember, he's a parent. He's a father. You're his child. When my child is open to me, I go. God's not like, eh, not enough. I'll see you tomorrow. Try again. That's not how he operates. God's not stingy. If there's no fire, it's because there's no offering. It's because we're still holding on to some measure of control. We still have some defenses and armors up with God. Let me just be blunt. There are still some places that if we're really honest with ourselves are off limits to God. And many Christians including myself, play games where we psychologically think they're open to God, but deep down in our heart of heart of heart of hearts under the layers of that sinfulness that we still are dealing with, it's not open to Him. It's not open to Him. At least not now. There's something else within me that God is calling me to offer that I'm refusing. I don't know about you, but I go kicking and screaming to the altar. We don't want to bring all of ourselves to the altar sacrifice. God, you can have this much of me, but that, that's too much. That's too big. What? A cost. What will happen to me on the other side of letting go of that? What will happen to me on the other side of getting over my fear and trusting your sovereignty? It's good. I don't know how to handle that, God. What will happen to me if I leave my friends, I'm speaking to some younger people, my friends who aren't following Jesus, but I'm here in church this morning. Maybe I grew up in church. Maybe I never did. But I'm, I, I'm seeking you, God. I know I'm not living the way I should. But what's going to happen to me on the other side of giving my life to you? I, I just don't know, Lord. I'm scared. This is the Christian life. Here's what needs to happen. All our Heavenly Father is trying to do is empty us of self so that He can fill us completely with Himself. 
God is fatherly enough to patiently work with us over the decades and get us there. But let me tell you God's goal. His goal is full and total fire. All of our life aflame with him. All of our life burning with love and zeal. It's like the church father Irenaeus said in the early church. He said, God's glory is his children fully alive in him. Our father doesn't want to bring us to the altar because he's trying to take something away from us. Our father wants to bring us to the altar because he's something he wants to give to us. More of him. More love, more passion, more zeal. More fruitfulness. It's a loving act that the father gently, like Abraham to Isaac, walks his children through. I want to bring this to a close, and I want to say this. I was just pondering this week, and what I was pondering is, why does God keep bringing us back to this message? This is the second time in three weeks that I've basically preached on the same thing, and it wasn't by design. I just said, okay, i got to get back into chapter 6. I got in chapter 6. I said, oh my gosh, this is all about what I said the other week. Second time in three weeks that I've preached really on the same message. And so I just wonder why. And honestly, all I can think of is that God wants to send fresh fire onto Grace Athens. Why else would he have us keep going back to the altar message? I didn't plan that. I'm not that smart. I'm not like these other pastors that are like, you know, like six weeks ahead. I don't know how you do that. I'm week to week. I am check to check. Just in case you were wondering. I get there on Monday. I say, God, I need fresh revelation. I got seven days. All right. This is how it works for me. Why does he keep bringing us back here? I think he wants to send a fresh fire. I think God wants to see this community aflame like never before. What do we got to do? Move to the cafeteria? No. That helps. But that's not the ultimate thing. What do we got to do? We've got to come with our offering. you got to come with your offering. To see God bring the fires of revival in our midst right now in 2023. Those fires, you know it. I'm preaching the choir. You want it. We want it. We all want it. Let's get on the altar. I want to see conversions. I want to see healings. I want to see everything I read in the Bible. I want to see people grow like they never have. I want to see kids baptized. I want to see that whole 40 kids, this next generation ministry God's given us. I want to see every single one of them baptized into the kingdom, period. I have 100% policy, period. What does that mean? We're praying. We're a praying church. We are a praying church. We're a volunteering church. We're a giving church. Does Lindsay need more money over there? Does she need more? Am I giving enough? Am I in this that she has all the resources she needs? Does she have all the volunteers she needs so that we can get 100% and every kid in there comes to know Jesus? Well, I'm in because I want that. Amen? Amen? I'll bring my offering. I'll bring my sacrifice. I don't care. I'm in because that's what I want to see happen. Fire. Revival fire in your church. I don't care that we're small. Fire can happen anywhere. You've got a small fireplace. It works in a, in a small one and a big one. <laughs> don't matter to me. It doesn't matter to God. God's no respecter of persons or place. He sees the people say, we're in. We're getting on the altar. All yours, Lord. He responds. He responds. 
God wants to do it. It's his goal and agenda with every single church in the world to see his churches ablaze with him. And a fire attracts people, does it not? You see fire. You ever seen a dude at a fire? Ladies too. Right? Like, 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 uh, like flies to, to light. Fire attracts people and it's warm. It's nice. God wants to set his church on fire and then the surrounding community gets drawn to what's happening here. And God begins to do things way beyond our four walls. And so here's the real gut question, friends. Here's where we're going, and then I'm done. Are we willing to sacrifice for what God wants to do here? Are we willing to bring our offering to him? Our time, our energy, our volunteering, our prayer, our emotions, our friendships. I I get it. I started a house church. I'm the pastor. I'm all excited about it. And you're like, I'm interested, but I'm not sure. Do I have the time? Do I have, like, I've already got so many friendships. I don't know, right? Okay, and for some of you, the answer is no. You're not supposed to be there, so just blanket statement. But for the ones that are, just show up. Just be there. Give your offering, even if it means just being present. That could be your offering right now for the church in this season, to just be present. I'm going. I don't have the energy. I don't have the emotional bandwidth, but I'm going. Because that's my offering. God will show you what it is. God will show you what it is. So, that's the question this morning as we turn to worship. The question is, what is God calling you to offer to him and his church right now in this new year so that he can send more of his fire? Amen? Let me invite our worship team to gather with me here at the front. And let me invite any uh, of our younger students, which I, I don't think they're here actually. So, But if you are, oh yes, here we go. Uh, where's Chet? Right there, you get to meet with Chet. Perfect. We got snacks, drinks, everything. Excellent. If there are any middle school, high school students, we've got our, our, our youth group that meets, a little small group, right back here with Mr. Chet, Bible teacher at Prince Avenue. So thankful for his ministry here at our church. When you came in, you should have received the communion elements. Go ahead and grab those now. As you're doing that, let me invite our prayer team. We're going to have prayer available for you, the laying on of hands as the Bible talks about here, I believe here, and one in the back. So back, and then one on either wings right here by the speakers. Maybe the best way for you to give that offering to the Lord is to come up here, let someone pray with you, and give that to Him. Everyone have communion elements? Here we go. If you need some, just slip up your hand. And Tyler can get those to you. Let's pray together. Lord, we come back to your table. Your table that was an altar, Jesus. You laid down your life. And you made the altar into a table. So that we could join and gather to God. Profound mystery of what you did at the cross. You laid down, Jesus, your life so that we could lay down ours and receive new life from you. We just pause. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the cross, Jesus, that you laid down your life for us.
to bring us and graft us into your Father's love and kingdom forever. It all starts with you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We ask as we take your body and blood, you called it living bread, Lord, would you feed us now, strengthen us so that we can lay down our lives in a new way at the beginning of 2023 for your church. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.